Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Luke 2, 1 through 14. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. I can hear we're still getting used to those, uh, those chairs and tables. I like it. Um, as you guys can hear, I'm actually a little bit under the weather this morning, and so um, thank God for microphones, and um, hopefully we can get through this together. If I, if I have to cough, I'll promise not to cough on the mic, um, and as, as usual, you guys are great at not sitting in the first couple rows, so that, that works too, so all good, all good here. Um, hey, as we look at uh, week two of this Advent series, we are excited to uh, consider what the Lord has for us this morning as we consider this idea of peace. And specifically, not just um, a, a peace that the world defines, but a peace that we see through the lens of, of Advent. So I want to just uh, kind of recap a little bit about what it means to consider and think through the season of Advent as we walk through this as Christians, as believers. This is unique to us. Uh, this is not simply just Christmas time. Uh, this is not just simply a time for us to put up lights and have decorations and, and all those things. All those things are wonderful, by the way, but it's not all it is. And so as, as believers, uh, we think about Advent in terms of, of an arrival. And as, as Christians, we are, I talked about this last week, but we are people that wait. We are awaiting people. We are folks that, that, that sit waiting, hopeful, as we consider uh, the coming of Christ um, as a baby during Christmas, but also the still impending coming of Christ one day when he'll return for the church. And so the season of Advent is for us to, to practice the story of, of God and think about what does the Bible say about who Jesus is 
and what he has, he has done for us. And, and so we reject this, these distorted stories, these distorted views of, of Christmas, and we, we, we tell one another as believers, as a church, what it means uh, to celebrate Christmas in this way. So uh, Jesus, through his birth, he brought a lot of things to us and, and is still doing that. And through his life and death, he offers us this deep well of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so that's what we've been walking through the past few weeks, or the last week, and this week as well. And so this week, we're looking at this idea of Advent peace. And um, so you just heard Jesse read from Luke 2. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, let me define the terms here a bit. What do we mean when we talk about peace? What does it mean to, uh, to be peaceful? What does it mean, uh, what, what comes to mind for you when you think about uh, that, that idea of, of peace? Is it simply just a lack of conflict? Is that what we're thinking about when I say that? So, you know, back in the 60s, my, my dad, and maybe some of your family as well, fought in the Vietnam War. And so during that time, right, there was this big conversation around, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be peaceful versus being at war? And, and that was at the center of the conversation, especially as my dad and other soldiers came home from that war. There was a big conversation about what does it mean uh, to, to be peaceful. And so there's a whole culture around that in the 60s and 70s. We've all seen those movies and read those books, right, like hippies and drugs and hate Nashbury and civil demonstration all come to mind at times when we think about the idea of peace. Just give peace a chance. And so maybe that's what comes to mind for you when you think about the idea of peace. Or, or maybe we think about some safe, peaceful space. Maybe some of you have a, a walk that you do throughout your neighborhood. Or, or maybe a, a place that you like to go in the mountains that is peaceful to you. And so you stand at, maybe at, at the beach at the sunset with your toes in the water. And that's your idea of what peace is to you. Or maybe it's a, it's a hot stone massage, right? Like essential oils, a trip to Glen Ivy Hot Springs, right? Like that's your image of what peace is. I want to suggest this morning that it's likely our notion of peace usually only scratches the surface. And it's usually, honestly, about how we just feel. Do we feel nice and complete and rested? Do we feel like there's no conflict in our lives? And when the Bible talks about peace, I want to point out that it's much deeper and lasting. Peace, according to Scripture, is total restoration. It's about taking what is broken and misshapen and distorted and bringing about complete healing at the core. And so as Christians, peace is really about addressing the, the root issue of sin in light of a holy God. That, that is ultimately what we are we are aiming for when it, we can think about a lasting peace. And this is a true peace that is offered in the birth of Jesus. And since his birth, we've seen many examples throughout history, throughout time of a false peace that come and go. So uh, I want to talk about two ideas this morning. And the first is this in relation to Luke 2. is uh, What we see in Luke 2 verses 1 through 7 especially is this indictment of a false peace, an indictment of a false peace. And so if you read Luke 2, verses 1 through 3, uh, there's a big name that pops out right off the bat in this birth story of Jesus. And it says in Luke 2, 1 through 3, that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. See, even pastors sometimes mispronounce names. That's okay in the Bible. So you guys just lean into it too. Um, when I think about the world that Jesus was born into, I uh, honestly, the word peace does not come to mind for me. Like, so we've all seen Gladiator before. Maybe some of you have, half of you have or so. Uh, we've all seen those sword and sandal movies like Gladiator or Spartacus. And the idea of peaceful times doesn't seem to fit into the narrative of what this looks like um, in terms of, of, of peaceful times. Morality rates were completely low. The value of life was low. And believe it or not, despite all that, Jesus was in fact born in a time in the Roman Empire where there was great peace throughout the region. Maybe you guys have heard this phrase before, the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. And so when Jesus was born, he was born during a time that it was the longest extended period of, of kind of relative peacefulness throughout Roman history. Uh, remember, Rome is a very large uh, modern city for its time. It, it had 70 million people who called Rome home. And it was busy with expansion and building. And they had this huge, sprawling metropolis with sewer systems and roads and security. Like, there's, there was a lot going for the city of Rome. In fact, last, uh, right, right before COVID, Katie and I visited uh, a city in Lebanon and we got to actually walk on some of those, those same Roman roads that were still there today. They had built them so well that there were just like miles of roads. And it's like, you probably can't see that about roads in Ontario, right? They're not going to last that long. But like, sure enough, those roads in, I think it was like Tyre and Lebanon, they were there inside an entire. It's amazing how, how well their society functioned. And how things were going so well. And so context matters. When we read about Caesar Augustus, and we read that all the world would go and be registered because he called for that. And then you think about the Bible inserting the idea, the notion of good news into this equation. You might think that it would be welcome, like great Let's hear the good news. Bring it on. What's the good news? We need good news. When in fact, you would be wrong in thinking so. Because for most of the world, there was a Lord. There was a Savior who would bring peace to everyone within the reaches of Rome. And his name was Caesar Augustus. He was the guy who everybody looked to and said, he's, he's awesome. As, ever since he's been in charge Everything has gone well. We don't have anything to complain about whatsoever. Caesar Augustus was Rome's first and greatest emperor. He ruled Rome for 45 years. He brought peace and stability to the empire. He established a professional army. He signed contracts, as I mentioned, for road systems to be built to connect every city in the region. So the Bible perhaps begins to feel a little out of touch because the Gospel of Luke, along with the other Gospels, assert that Jesus is Lord. And his Lordship is apparently good news for us. But Rome would say, why do we need him? We have Caesar. 
The Bible says Jesus will bring peace. We've been searching for, we've been looking for this peace for so long. Well, what are you talking about? This isn't the most peaceful it's been in centuries. Why would we need peace, more peace? We have created a perfect society. And so in the beginning of Luke 2, I think, I think we start to see that God, through, through the author Luke, through his purposes of writing the story narrative of the birth of Christ, he knows what's going on. He understands the context in which Jesus is born. And so he's giving us some historical markers. And that's why we see these guys' names. And the governor and Augustus, and it's like we have on the surface, it looks like he's perhaps just placing Jesus in the story, into the context. But let's keep reading verse 4 through 7. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I think that there's something else that Luke is doing here. He is not just simply comparing or putting, placing Jesus' story in the context of historical people and, and a setting in time. Luke certainly knows about the Old Testament's promises regarding the birth of the Savior. It's in Micah 5.2, and it was written 700 years ago before the birth of Christ. It's going to be up on the screen behind me as well as I read. Micah 5 says this, but you, O Bethlehem, uh, uh, that word, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one is to, who is to be ruler in Israel, who come forth, who come, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until a time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock and in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. That's what Micah 5.2 said 700 years before Jesus was born. Uh, Knowing, God knowing that, that Jesus would be born during a time of peace. During a time where it didn't seem like peace was necessary. And yet Micah 5.2 says that's exactly what is still needed. And so that's what's promised from ancient days, that we would see this promised king who is, is timeless. He's not simply like another king in another lineage of earthly rulers. There's something special about this king. This is an eternal ruler who is going to enter into the stream of human history in context under Caesar Augustus, born in Bethlehem from the clan of Judah, and he shall be their peace. And so I I hope you see what Luke is doing here as he couches the story of Jesus into the story of what's happening in that time in history. On one hand, on one hand, you have Caesar in all his glory. Like he's feeling like at the top of his world. He's commanding a census. He's literally, what is a census? He's literally counting all those he has authority over. He's saying, I want to know. I want to know who I'm in charge of. And he is in the process of doing so unknowingly bringing about God's plan. And we see the sovereign plan of God at work. 
we see how the most powerful ruler in the most powerful empire in the world is a tiny part of a supreme and sovereign plan put together by God to save the entire world. And that's what Luke is saying. And that's what I want you to see when you read these historical figures every year at Christmas. Maybe you do so on Christmas morning as a tradition. Maybe it's just simply in church. But what I want you to see is that through the story of the birth of Christ, we see that God is in charge. He is sovereign through the whole thing. Proverbs 21.1, one of my favorite verses, says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. In other words, this is a reminder for us that he is the one who moves. God is the author of the story. And this is the indictment brought against Caesar and everyone else throughout history who has ever tried to play God. Think about how many rulers, how many generals and emperors and kings thought that they were sovereign throughout history. Think about how many people, uh, warriors or generals fought their way to the front and saying, I I am now the one in charge. I have defeated everyone. I'm standing here alone. And the same thing we see in Luke 2. Caesar is not in charge. And friends, Caesar cannot bring lasting peace. Christ alone brings lasting peace. So let's bring this from Scripture and history into our lives today because from the Roman Empire... You know, it ended a long time ago, so we're on the side of the world that doesn't really matter anymore, right? There's just a lot of things that have kind of moved on in our time and age. And so, uh, how, how does this connect to you and I this morning? Well, I'm going to say something, and you're going to chuckle, and then we're going to get on with it, okay? All right, it's true. Okay, so, uh, listen, I, I believe that we all still have our own personal little Caesars, okay? There, there, is, a, there is a sense... That and I'm not talking about the pizza place, right? The consummate youth group, all nighter pizza. But every single one of us have brought have bought into an inferior <coughs> knockoff version of something or someone who promises peace. If you get past the, the silly example, it's true. It's true. We've all bought into something that we think is one thing, and after a while it doesn't taste very good. Right, like it doesn't. It promises peace, but it doesn't actually offer lasting peace. And so, if you think about some of the things that we establish our lives around, claiming that we are at peace when we're actually not, uh, maybe you think about your family life, and your family is the thing that that you think is so wonderful and peaceful to you. It's your family life, is it? And I, I love family, but listen, is your family truly a source of peace? Seriously. Maybe there's days. Maybe there's moments. You know, I, I think that one of the, the sneaky ways that, and not to over-spiritualize this and, and say like that Satan's at work in this, but I think through cultural norms, there are TV shows and movies and things like that that tend to push this narrative that family can offer this whole picture of peacefulness. And it could be everything for you when it's actually not at all. Like, I remember, like, 10 years ago when, when that show uh, Parenthood came out. 
and everybody like went out immediately to Costco and bought like those lights that hang up in the backyard, right? Because of that show. And it's like everybody just wanted to have that kind of family life and sit around that big table together. And it's like, man, this is awesome. Like I want to be a part of this family where we're all each other's business. There's all these, you know, grown-up kids who love one another still. Well, they were a hot mess behind the scenes, right? I mean, some of you guys watch Yellowstone, right? Like, okay, I, I, we watch Yellowstone. So there's, there's this sense that, like, if, if you watch that show and you know about uh, the, 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 the idea of peacefulness that a family can bring in your life, it's all a farce, right? Like, it's, none of it's true. There's so much wrong about the way that family is depicted through cultural norms. And I want to encourage you to set aside those false notions of things that bring us peace, like even family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe you think that's where your peacefulness is. You've, well, we've all had friends that have let us down before. Most of us don't even have friends that stick around long enough. Some of you maybe do, but I, I would venture to say that most of us don't speak to friends from your childhood days. And there are good days of friends, but how often do we misunderstand one another or miss one another? And how often do, is there conflict and, and we lose friends over trivial things? Well, that can't be a lasting source of peace then. Maybe it's your stuff. You guys have stuff? Is it fun stuff? I got some fun stuff, right? Things get old though, right? And you think this is going to finally bring me peace. Uh, maybe you will go out and buy one of those $3,000 massage chairs. Ah, uh, it's going to le- legitimately bring me peace. Guess what, though? One day that will break and you'll be sad. We bought our 2017 Ford Expedition in 2019. It was a big investment uh, for us. And um, what happened the year after we bought it? One of the people who live in our home took a rock and decided to use the door as a scratch pad uh, on, on that car. Right, like stuff doesn't last, right? And so if stuff doesn't last, then it certainly can't bring us peace that's lasting. Last example that I just want to point out, since it's December and, and we're all sitting here with these lights that glow, maybe it's your traditions. Maybe traditions in your mind bring peace for you. And I want to point out that that misses the mark as well. My, my favorite tradition is Halloween. I love Halloween because one, candy is awesome, and, and two, because Halloween's kind of the, the, the kickoff, the start to all holiday seasons, and, and it kind of means we're on our way to making all the casseroles and the meals that we like and, and all the things that we enjoy doing, so we're on our way to putting up Christmas lights and going up to Thoroughbred Lane to, to mess up their streets and, and see even better lights, right? Like, and there's football games, and there's holiday parties, and there's gifts, and the, the weather's cooler. And so we as Californians get to bring out the two jackets that we have, right? Like, but listen, same as you, I can go back that, through that whole list. And if I'm honest, these well-loved traditions bring very little actual peace to my life. And oftentimes, it brings a lot of stress. It brings a lot of frustration. It brings a lot of things that I have to do. Christmas lights blow fuses. Thoroughbred Lane has a line that's 20 miles long. Your football team loses on Thanksgiving Day. You can't make it to your holiday party because you're sick, right? So there's, there's things. Disappointment sets in. And so the point uh, of that list, in a way, the point of pointing that out is because while we might love our traditions and love our families and our loyal friends, 
let me say it clear to you that the Bible proclaims true peace through the birth of Jesus. And so those things will never be enough. Every single thing that is good will fail you when bearing the burden of bringing you lasting peace. It's not enough. There's something more that we need. And here's what Luke is saying. For all of his human and historical accomplishments, Caesar is a fraud. Caesar's a fraud. He's been unmasked. And all that Caesar is to you, and I, I, as we look and trust in and hope for, it's insufficient. And that's the indictment. It's an indictment of a false peace. Now, there's an invitation here as well. Let's point two this morning. The invitation to you and I as well, it's an amazing invitation. It's an invitation to lasting peace. An invitation to lasting peace. By the way, it feels awesome to be invited to something, right? Uh, it, it means you've been thought of. It means your presence is, is wanted. It means that you matter, right? So many of us have stories, good and bad, where we've been invited to or left out of things when we were kids or maybe even as adults, and we remember that stuff. And I want to point out this morning that through Scripture, we have been offered a, a, an amazing invitation, Every single one of us has to be in relationship with God who would offer us a lasting peace. Look at Luke 2, 8 through 11. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I... Give you, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let's talk about this invitation for just a few more minutes. This is an invitation for everyone. And that's what I get from this chapter in Luke 2, these few verses. Because he's talking to, they're talking to shepherds. And maybe you've heard this stuff before, but it's, it's worth repeating, it's worth remembering that shepherds play this specific kind of role throughout Scripture, and especially in, in these times. Because the angel of the Lord doesn't show up in a palace. The angel of the Lord doesn't show up in places of power or places of status. The angel of the Lord shows up in the least expected place. I mean, think about this in a field in the middle of the night. Like why, would you, like, why would you choose to show up there? And so the people who witness this occurrence are shepherds. And so if, if this doesn't tell you that everyone's invited, I don't know what, what does. Because you and I might have nice curated versions of shepherds that come to mind. Like if you go to downtown Ontario right now in Euclid, you know every year, they have these nativity scenes, and maybe you have probably some nativity scenes in your home, right? On a mantle or on a table somewhere. And to be honest, these shepherds look awesome. They look nice, nice people, right? They're like smiling and like leaning on their staff, and like there's there's, there's good vibes. It's like if that shepherd showed up, I'd be like, hey, come on in. Let's watch Elf, right? Let's hang out. And um, there's this sense that they're peaceful, like they're holding a lamb in their arms. It's great. It's great. But if you actually think about what these shepherds were like, they're not 
people you would invite in. They're not people you'd want to associate with. In fact, shepherds weren't even allowed in the city. That's why they have this job out in the fields. And they were typically people who, who were nomadic. They didn't have very many options for work. Like, think about folks who just got out of prison and have to work kind of this very narrow scope of, like, prison release-type jobs. It's like, these are your options. You can be a shepherd or you can dig that hole, right? It's like, I guess I'll hang out with the animals. And so these guys didn't have to do very much hard work. I mean, they just stood out in a field and just kind of stared at the rear end of a sheep walking around all day. And, um, like, I don't mean to offend, but, like, think, like, almost like, like, like traveling gypsies or like, like pikeys, right, from that movie Snatch. Like, this is the kind of stereotype of like carnival worker, like these nomadic folks who didn't have very many options, who would walk through society and people would talk about them when they walked by. And they were not the highest class of society. They don't get paid much. Their job's pretty straightforward. Hey, man, don't lose the animals. It's the whole job. Make sure if a wolf comes up occasionally, don't lose the animals. Now, these are tough guys. They live and sleep outside. It's a lot of walking, but it's not glorious at all. And I say all this because I want to remind you that in regards to invitation, invitation to a lasting peace, this is who God includes. First, God says first, I want to bring you, shepherds, you common, normal, slightly disappointing people, I bring you good news. You can get in on this. And it it makes you think about our um, relationship sometimes with accepting good things. I, I, I think some of us have complicated relationships with accepting good in our life. And I, I think that, you know, you know kind of our, our tribe of, of the Christian faith is one that doesn't think too much about asking God for blessings or, or having there be this, like, kind of faith talk that leads to a, a kind of a, a wrong understanding of, of how we ask for God to help us with things, if that all makes sense. But, but there is this beauty to the fact that, that God includes the lowest of the low. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in an extension of salvation, an extension of relationship of peace? This is who God includes. Now, let's talk more about this invite. What is their response to this invite? Luke says that they were terrified. So the angel says, fear not, don't be afraid. I used to think that the angel must have been a terrifying figure. Um, it's possible that it was. Um, I almost threw up a picture of some pictures of angels that I saw online this week, but I thought it'd be distracting. So we won't go that route. But, but here, here's what we actually see in the text. Look at verse 9 of Luke 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So what is it that makes these shepherds fearful. It's not the angels. It's the glory of the Lord that is shown around them. And this is consistent throughout Scripture. When Adam, after his willful rebellion, knows that God is coming for him, what does Adam do? He hides. Why? 
Because the glory of God is terrifying for sinners. Isaiah sees the glory of God in the temple. What happens to him? He immediately curses himself and says, woe is me, I am undone. I feel like I am coming apart because my unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. God is exposing me. And, and I, think, I think you and I sometimes see ourselves as being pretty good until God's glory shows up. It exposes and reveals the sin that is there. And so the shepherds are terrified because they realize that they are face-to-face with God's glory. And through this message, through the angel appearing before them, they know their lives don't measure up. They know that they have nothing in common with the person who's speaking to them. And the angel says, fear not. Now, why does he say fear not? Because their sin isn't a big deal? No. Because you have a Savior born to you. And the Savior is going to bring about perfect, lasting peace. So, again, what is this peace that the angels are announcing? What is this peace that is lasting in this way? In some ways, I want to call you back to our series in Mark and what Jesus has been talking about in terms of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God being at hand. And it's not like an earthly kingdom. It's not like an earthly reign. It's not the kind of kingdom that would impress people who are in the military or scare off any kind of uh, you know, commanders or armies. It's not that type of kingdom. And so this peace, in the same way, is not the same kind of peace that maybe we're thinking either. It's not peace instead of military conflict. It's not peace instead of marital or family uh, problems. It's not peace from financial anxiety. It's not peace from legal problems. It's not peace because your lifestyle is frantic or busy. The peace that the angels rejoiced over was directly connected to verse 10. This good news of great joy. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for, I, for behold, I bring you this good news of great joy that will be for all the people, including you shepherds, including you king's church, including every sinner and person who feels like they are not worth this peace. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior for you, who is Christ the Lord. Think about that word Savior for just a minute. A Savior is one who saves, right? A Savior is one who brings salvation. And, and so don't kid yourself. All of us actually need to be saved. We are all hungry for help. We are all reaching out for a rescue. And so each one of us is searching for that peace that I mentioned. I've mentioned this whole time, a genuine, deep, inward, lasting peace. And that peace will not come from a bottom of a bottle or a prescription container. That kind of peace won't be found in having more stuff, looking at more pornography, having more power at work. Like a vacation is a good thing, but it is not going to bring you that kind of peace. Only a relationship with God will bring you that peace. Only the idea of Christ being Lord can give you that peace. And that is why his birth inspired the angels to shout about this peace. Paul talks about this peace in Romans 5. This is how the Apostle Paul answers the question as far as what is this peace that we're talking about? Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what exactly has been accomplished through Jesus? Nine verses later, he says in verse nine, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So when the Bible talks about peace, lasting peace, when Paul talks about peace, we're, we're, we're thinking about this idea of being reconciled, being, being moved from being seen as unrighteous and sinful and, and being moved into this different category completely because God through his son Jesus has given us lasting peace, has washed us clean, has given us complete uh, righteousness positionally because of the Father and the Son and what they've done. And so the angels rejoice and speak about peace, not simply because the Son of God has come, but because he would also go one day to the cross, and he would also go and take our punishment and our sins that we deserve to pay for. There's no real or lasting peace available in the announcement of Christ's birth unless it is tied to the announcement of Christ's death. Only the cross would broker the peace the angels spoke to in Luke 2. In other words, the good news of Christmas is the same as the good news of Easter. Christ came for sinners like us and died so that we might have both forgiveness and peace with God. So that means, friends, we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who created you. And that is lasting peace. That is genuine peace. It's the peace that you need more than anything else. It's the kind of peace that will sustain you when everything hits the fan. Jesus came not to judge us, but to be judged for us. He came not to condemn us, but to be condemned on our behalf. And so Christ is born in Luke 2, praise God, to be given away eventually for his people, to die for his people. And Christ suffers for his people. And Jesus is the only Savior who truly brings peace by putting an end of, to hostility between God the Father and us who are created by him. And that is why the angel says, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. The Savior has come. So on the one hand, Advent brings an indictment that tells us that every attempt at peace apart from Christ will utterly fail. And there's also yet a real invitation to every single one of us to experience that genuine and lasting peace. Not simply like a conflict, but a complete restoration of relationship to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray and ask God to further bring us that peace this morning. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this passage in Luke 2 to be reminded that, first of all, Lord, that you are, you are in charge of, of it all. You are sovereign over the whole story. And, God, you use people throughout history and you use us in our lives to bring about your will, God. But would you remind us that you are a God who sees every angle. And since the beginning, Lord, you have, you have brokered this plan. You have created this this roadmap for us to experience lasting peace. And so, God, for us this morning, wherever we're at, 
however we're kind of coming and going into church this morning, Lord, would you, would you remind us, God, that every single kind of false, false example of peace that we might have in our life, Lord, it, it fails comparison to what you did on the cross. God, would you, would you remind us of the importance of your son crucified in our lives? God, thank you for announcing this good news to us. Thank you, Lord, for the shepherd's uh, response and the angel's message, God, that this is a joyful thing that we celebrate. We love you and praise your name. Amen.